Hello again to everybody in the house and everybody at home. Glad you're here with us today. Um, we're going to turn to Acts 15, and the key verse is verse 19, but we're going to look at verses uh, tw 12 through 21. So I'd invite you to turn there, and I don't care how you're reading it this morning, whether physical Bible or electronic Bible, but at home, find it somehow. In the room, find it. I think you'll find that it's uh, much more interesting to follow along because we're going to look at a few different verses in this section. Acts 15, 12 through 21. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogue on every Sabbath. It's the word of the Lord. As we've been working through this series talking about who we are as God's people. Um, I've invited you to adopt this as the way we think of ourselves. It's very biblical, which is that we are disciples who make disciples. It's very active language. It's Jesus-used language. I feel like that makes it good to use for us if we follow him. A disciple is simply one who follows Jesus. We are disciples who make disciples. Now, if we look at Acts 15, and we look at the disciples as they kind of navigate new territory on how to live as Jesus' disciples, uh, trying to understand what Jesus did. Uh, it's the Gentile and Jewish kind of how do we come together at this moment? Because up until this point, of course, uh, the movement following Jesus would have been predominantly Jewish. That's where it comes from, from the Old Testament. And, and Jesus fulfills the law. And so we'll go into that a little bit more in a moment, but the question is, how do we include the Gentiles in this? Because they're obviously responding, and the Holy Spirit is doing something. Gentiles simply being somebody who's not Jewish. Most likely, just put a pin in this, virtually everybody in this room and at home would probably be in the Gentile category, I'm guessing. So what's distinctive about the circumstances and approach in Acts 15 of what they encounter, just in broad terms? The first thing is, as they get together to figure out what God is doing in the midst of them, they were looking at what God was doing, not simply what God had done. Do you catch that? They didn't ignore the past, but they see the Holy Spirit actively working, and they're actively working with that situation, not simply looking back at what God did, but what God is actually doing. Second, they're, they're focused on their mission of spreading the good news, of being apostles, really, of sharing the good news in new territory, really. But they're facing opposition to the mission. That rhymes. That's the kind of thing you write down. There's opposition to the mission is what they're facing. You don't actually have to. I just like that. 
So they know what they're supposed to do, but now they've, they've run into a, a, a roadblock. But they're still focused on what God is doing, not what God has done, which is part of the roadblock, actually. And then the third thing I want to point out as we look broadly at what they did is they responded to their circumstances because of their circumstances, not in spite of their circumstances. So they recognized that something was actually going on. There's a testimony that they're seeing of God actually working right there and right then. And they're not afraid of the opposition that they run into because they're seekers of solutions to fulfilling the mission that they know that God has called them on because the Holy Spirit's working. Jesus told us, he told them, he told us, you're going to face opposition. That doesn't stop us from the mission. He told us it was going to happen. They knew it was going to happen. They face it. What do they do? They respond because of their circumstances. They know that God is doing something. What they were able to do is who we are supposed to be. Who they were is who we are supposed to be. Disciples who make disciples. That's exactly what they were doing. The specific thing that we should pick up from this church is that our job is to say yes to the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is active and alive right now, pandemic or not. Our job is to be active to the work of the Holy Spirit and say yes to the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's look a little more at the backstory of what's going on here in Acts 15. Let's go back to verses 6 through 9 where Barnabas gives testimony. It says, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Excuse me, that's Peter. Peter got up and addressed them. Uh, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from the lips from my lips, the message of the gospel, and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. If we understand what God was doing throughout the Old Testament as God was forming a people, not so that his message would exclusively stay with Israel, but so they would be the vehicles to bring everybody else to God. They would demonstrate God's holiness and character to the world and call everybody else to him. Functionally, disciples, if you will, as a people in the Old Testament. That was always what their mission was. That's the story we're being brought into in the Old Testament. When Jesus comes, he certainly does do remarkable things in giving us the opportunity to be saved, thanks be to God, But his primary sort of first call mission before he even gets to that point is to call Israel back to their task so that he can do that and they can bring them back, call people to God. That's that way salvation actually works out. They're supposed to be calling. Jesus comes to the lost sheep of Israel to remind them of their mission, of what God had called them to, to call the whole world home. And Jesus says, now I'm going to make it possible so everybody can come, including you. That's what Jesus came to do. The Gentiles, as you read the Old Testament, you'll see it all throughout. They were always included in the story. You see it in the genealogies. You see it in issues like Abraham and Melchizedek. You see it in Ruth. You see it in all kinds of different places. That the Gentiles were always there and could always be brought into the fold. They were never out of it, but it seems like a subplot, the way it works out. It seems like a secondary thought throughout the Old Testament up until this point in the text and the story. When we go to, then to our key verse, Acts 15, 19, 
It says, it is my judgment, therefore, this is James now speaking, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. The whole line there is actually, uh, we shouldn't annoy the Gentiles or frustrate the Gentiles, right? That, that actually was going to be my original sermon title, Don't Annoy the Gentiles. But we went to the House of Welcome instead because that focuses on what we're trying to do. But the issue that's at hand is, one, what did Jesus fulfill of the Old Testament law? But more precisely to the point, what is necessary for salvation in light of that? That's what they're trying to wrestle with. It's no small issue that they're dealing with together. Peter has given testimony, and he's struggled himself with uh, how to live this out. You know, he has this uh, remarkable moment with Cornelius, a Gentile, where it, it becomes clear to him by God that, that really he, can, he doesn't have to follow the dietary restrictions he used to follow and that he can eat with Gentiles now. Now, he has trouble living that out. Paul talks about that in Galatians 2. Uh, but that's what's happened, and that's part of what Peter gives testimony to here. Paul and Barnabas, then they've been out in the mission field. They've seen the Gentiles coming to faith. They were always kind of interested. There were people always around the edges, interested in the story and interested in salvation. But now they're being confronted with the issue of circumcision being the predominant uh, precipitating issue, but other dietary and other restrictive laws underneath that of living out the Old Testament law. We've always done this. The Gentiles should have to do this. Two, and Paul and Barnabas are saying, wait a minute, we're not sure that's the case. We think Jesus did something to those laws, right? The, the issues, if we understand it, the issue is not, first of all, that they were watering down their theology in order to reach the Gentiles. So we need to understand that. So uh, you might remember, um, for those that followed or have been in the church for a long time, back in the 90s and then the early 2000s, there was a lot focused on the seeker movement within churches where churches even restructured uh, their Sunday morning so they were seeker-friendly, and then they might do a worship service in the middle of the week for the sort of believers, if you will. Um, and there were mixed reviews on that, and, and what it ended up doing is, sure, a lot of people came to Christ, but it kind of ended up making a watered-down faith so it was easy to take and easy to leave. That's not what, at all what they're advocating here. They're not doing like a seeker-friendly, Gentile-level faith and a Jewish-level faith. But, and if you do that, then you run into the other issue that can, that can happen. If they would have continued this course, they would make second-class citizens out of the Gentiles is the problem, which actually happens in established churches pretty easily, right? We're, we're not excluded from that. It can happen in any established church super easily uh, where you have people that have been there forever, and then it's hard to welcome in people who come in new and assimilate in, them into the life because they're systems that are already working, and you create two levels. That's exactly the kind of problem they were running into. We don't want to create second-class citizens, but we don't want to water down the message either. And they didn't do either of those. When it says, don't annoy the Gentiles, don't make it difficult, they're trying to figure out what's necessary for salvation. How do we all then walk together that way? If we go to Acts 10 and 11, then Peter is still talking in his testimony here, and he says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? We couldn't even live out the law. That's why Jesus came to fulfill it, he says. No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. That's what's necessary for salvation. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Salvation is given by Jesus, and it's received by faith. Or faith has been totally demolished in our culture. You could use the word belief or conviction 
maybe is more compelling. Paul gives a word to this as well uh, in Galatians uh, 2, 19 and 21. It'll come up on the screen where Paul says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's the crucial part for the conversation. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. That's the heart of what they're talking about. It's not through the law that this happens. Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't get rid of it. He fulfilled it because we couldn't hold it up anyways. It showed us how sinful we were, and Jesus says, now you can come in. I'll take care of your sin if you'll only receive me disciples. The list itself, if you look in Acts, um, we're not going to go into that with any depth. Um, There's a lot of different thoughts on what exactly they're getting at when they talk about, I mean, some of it's pretty straightforward, uh, to avoid food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, and then the meat of strangled animals or with the blood. Those last two seem to go together, Um, and it seems to tend towards moral issues, not simply ritual law issues. Um, that sexual immorality would be wrong uh, under, under any circumstance, um, and that uh, the, uh, the issue of food polluted by idols, there's only one God, so don't go and sit worshiping another God, even though that might be the only time you get meat or something like that. Um, they're all related to moral issues. When it comes to not annoying the Gentiles, let me give you a modern example of, of what they're trying to do, because I, I was thinking through this, and I thought this was a, a useful way to think about um, the barriers that they're trying to reduce. Because when we think about it as a church, we're thinking about people coming in and joining our community um, as new disciples or as people coming in from other places, perhaps, who can join community life. But um, our family, uh, Stephanie, my wife, and I, a couple years ago, were invited by our pediatricians group um, to a special focus group. We have three kids. One has a, a, a muscular disorder, so a disability. And so special needs parents were invited to come because it was clear that you know, they had multiple offices that the system didn't work as well for parents with special needs kids. Um, it, it was a little bit frustrating. And so they gave us each, uh, about every two weeks we met, they gave us a $25 check for childcare, which was really generous, and food, which was even more generous. And it was good stuff. And they had us all come in, about you know, nine, 10 uh, people, just to talk about the process from beginning to end over those couple months of what worked and what didn't. You know, it was simple things like when you call in and we, we don't need to get to the doctor immediately, but we need to get to the nurse's line and know that it's important. You know, some parents call in and they're worried that a, a cold is gonna be something more than it is. And so they're trying to triage the calls and saying, well, I think it might be just a cold, you can wait. Whereas some of the special needs parents are like, no, no, I know this is gonna, this is gonna develop real fast. I do need to talk to the doctor today and we might need to get in. So we need to know, how can we flag those? Like, how can we distinguish those things? Or even if, if your kid has been sick and you've been in like three times in a week, which is not out of the norm, why is it that we have to fill out the same paperwork and say our address hasn't changed every single time we come in? Questions like that. It was simple stuff. Don't annoy the patient, right? Like, how can we? And they were super, they wanted to respond and make sure that it was not annoying to come in and take care of your kid and that they could take care of everyone well. They wanted a good system. As we consider all of this, and the don't annoy the Gentiles, don't make it difficult for them to come in, um, the opposition that they come up against as they start all this kind of seems like bad news, right? It, It strikes me that if you were part of that Jerusalem council, 
and you were facing this opposition. Paul and Barnabas had out on the f- been out on the field facing this opposition. This would have been really annoying to them and seems like bad news. This thing that was growing and doing so great now has come into some really significant opposition or difficulty. But can I just put out there that is it possible that what appears to be bad news can actually be a sign that the Holy Spirit is doing something new? I'm not saying the Holy Spirit caused the bad news, but can it be possible that when we run into those opposition moments and bad news moments, that actually it might be a sign that the Holy Spirit is up to something? And we need to be responsive to that. So if we're considering that in a church context, as disciples who make disciples, how do we avoid annoying the Gentiles? How do we be a house of welcome to anybody who would come to us? We talked last week about being a place of high invitation, and high challenge. That is to say, if I'm following Jesus, I actually do want to be challenged at every turn to be more like Jesus. I think that's important. I think that matters. Otherwise, we do live a watered-down faith. And we need to be a people of high invitation if we believe that this is really where truth is found, in Jesus Christ. And if we're a high invitation environment, we need to be one that's not high frustration environment in order to do that. And what I would suggest is we need to be a place, uh, as we look into the future, where we limit barriers, and I would just propose three, three things that we need to make sure we're attentive to. One is good systems, second is the right attitude, and the third is a hospitable place. We'll go through each of those in turn. Good systems. I'm going to give you three statistics as we go through those three points, uh, which will sound like bad news, but I'm, I'm an optimist and a Pollyanna at heart, so we'll see the good news in them. First statistic, as we talk about good systems, the average 36% is the average in-person attendance for reopened churches. 36%. So, and I'm hearing this on the ground too. So what that means is if you were worshiping about 100, just to give us an easy number, before the pandemic, now in the midst of the pandemic, you got about 36 in person. A lot of people online. There are many churches that aren't worshiping in person at all. Some churches have more than that in attendance, but what I, I hear from other pastors is that's probably a pretty accurate figure. That comes from Kerry Newhoff, that figure. What that means um, is that uh, we'll do more with the online in the moment, but what that means is that if our website, I don't know if you realize this, websites have been the front door to the church for a long time. Most people, before they ever come and visit a church, go to the website first. In fact, as a fun story, Lars Dunberg, who I used to be his pastor, um, who's, we're doing a Sunday school class with one of his books. Um, when they switched churches in Colorado Springs, there were two covenant churches. He came to ours because the website was better. He could find the time very easily. That's what he said. Okay, website is the front door to the church. That is the case. I'm standing behind the image. That's funny. Um, The the website is the front door of the church. However, um, now it's online. So all of you, you're at the front door right now if you're online. Good morning. We're going to see a lot more people checking us out online. One, two, three, four, six, eight, ten, twelve weeks before they ever come and join us in person. Maybe even a year. Okay, that's the future. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here in the room, however you got here. Success, whether we were right or wrong before the pandemic in measuring success in church life by how many people were in the pews, success needs to be measured in engagement. Are we engaged as the people of God, as disciples who want to grow as disciples, as disciples who want to invite others into life in Jesus Christ? 
when I was on sabbatical a year and a half ago, I was out with a, a good friend of mine in Colorado hiking. We hiked about 10 miles in a day in Mueller State Park, just gorgeous, uh, gorgeous place to be. And uh, as we were out, um, he works for a big Christian nonprofit there in the Springs and does systems. That's his thing. That's been his whole career. And I like systems too. I like good systems. I like efficient systems. And I like things that are automatic. So I like systems in general. But as we hiked, we really had a good time talking about church and family and all kinds of different things for a whole day. And we talked about systems a lot because we both like that. And one of the things that we both affirmed as we had that conversation is a good system equals care. We don't always think of it. We, we think of systems as impersonal, but a good system equals care. You can see biblical examples of that with uh, Acts chapter 6, when they have some of the widows are being taken care of and some aren't within the early church. That's a bad system. It seems very personal, but it's not covering everybody. So when we try and get super personal, sometimes we miss people in the process. You can see it with Jethro and Moses. Moses is trying to judge for the entire Israelite community, and he's missing all kinds of people and wearing himself out in the process. And his father-in-law says, you can't do this alone. Divide this up. Make a system of other judges, and then you take the big stuff. That system shows care. It's scalable. Everybody can be cared for in a system like that. It's not impersonal. In fact, it's the reverse. It's, it's very personal, the way it works. A good system helps leaders lead and do their job. A good system develops new leaders. A good system gives everyone a place to belong. A good system is scalable and allows everybody to enter in all throughout the process. It allows a, a number of on-ramps so people can always be invited, right? At our best, as a church, our small groups function that way. Maybe they don't right now, but at our best, they do. We've had a little trouble this last year. At our best, you can see that with communication, you know, the emails and things like that that go out when we first started those, they were frustrating. Now I think we're getting them better. And the idea is that everybody has access to the same information. It's not dependent on word of mouth. Everybody can get involved. Everybody can get onto that. There, we try and make ways for everybody to connect and, and click onto things that will get them deeper involved as much as we can. At our best, we have systems that will get people involved. At our best, we have systems that will teach how to be a disciple more and more and better and grow in your relationship with Christ. And we're intentionally trying to do both of those things. Good systems equal care. The second thing is, if we're disciples who make disciples, the second thing we need is the right attitude. This one's going to seem a little depressing, but one out of five is the number of church-going adults who stopped attending church at all in 2020. That's, they're not going online. They're not going in person. They're not going anywhere at all. One out of five. And I say this because it again re reinforces that we can't have this expectation that on X day at X time, once X amount of people are vaccinated, the fire hose opens up and everybody comes back into the doors. It just isn't going to work that way within church life. So what does that mean for us? We need to have an attitude of prayer. Attitude of prayer because that's how we lead, not because that's the last resort. Our prayer must increase. Our invitation must increase for people to come in and know Jesus Christ if we're disciples who make disciples. We need to challenge uh, one another to be better disciples and challenge one another to invitation to others to make them disciples. Our attitude must be one not just of prayer, but of hope. I don't know if you've noticed this. Hope seems to have been lost in many ways out in the world, but it better not be lost in here. Guess why? The spiritually hungry are still hungry. 
Who's feeding them? We should be. The church. So our attitude must be one of hope and our posture must be one of prayer as we do that. Each Sunday, I don't know if you realize this, each Sunday we have an at-home prayer person assigned and an in-person prayer person assigned. I'd like to have bigger teams as we move forward, but we've made that an intentional change as we reconfigured systems uh, over the last year to make that something we lead with, not something we just react with. Every Sunday, there's somebody assigned to be praying in the building and out, sometimes more than one. Our posture must be one of prayer. Will you be one of our prayer people? That's a way that you can engage very easy, easily and simply. And our attitude, if it's of hope and it's of prayer, that means our pursuit is to make sure we're coming home to God and calling others home to God that are far away from him. So we've asked the question over the last couple weeks, how goes your walk with Jesus, fellow traveler? We need to be able to answer that question regularly if we're going to grow with Christ. We asked the question last week, what's your evangelism temperature, brother and sister in Christ? Is it moving up? towards red hot. I'll show you the results from last week because we sent out a survey and many of you responded back. So the first, how goes your walk with Christ? This is encouraging, right? We have a lot of people who are growing. And this tells us something important about what we can do and, and we can process these numbers. It doesn't tell us where they are besides this. It doesn't tell us anything like that, but it gives us a core sample that we have people who are on the upper half who are growing in Christ and we want to keep that trend going that way towards 10. The other one, how it goes, uh, what's your evangelism temperature? This is great too. There are some of us who are really ready to share. There are probably some of us in this who don't feel equipped to share, but would be really interested in being equipped to share. And probably some of us who are on the lower end of this who maybe need to go to the other chart and grow in the midst of trying to understand how to increase our evangelism temperature. Right? How goes your walk? What's your evangelism chapter? Those matter for disciples who make disciples. We need to be answering those questions regularly. Third thing I said is a hospitable place. I'm going to use place in quotation marks here. For disciples who make disciples, we need to have a hospitable place. Now, one more statistic. Over the next 12 months, one in five churches, it's predicted, could close permanently in the U.S. and Canada. That's according to Barna. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, but I suspect that it's not completely off. So if we think things will go back to normal again, this is why I keep bringing this up, and we think that way as a community, we run the risk of being one of those churches. That's not our mentality. We need to make changes continually moving forward to eliminate barriers to welcoming people into community life and inviting them in actively. It means also that there will be a lot of homeless brothers and sisters out there looking for a place to worship and a people to belong to. And we need to be a house of welcome to those people as well. Are we ready for them to come and join us? When I say place, I use quotation marks because place is physical, but place is also virtual. As we've talked about online, online place, that will need to be hospitable. It's not going to go away. It's going to potentially grow. So right now we have people joining us online. You're not second class. You're part of the church. Um, and, and we want to be hospitable. We can do it in a couple different ways. One, our AV people sitting up in the building are part of our hospitality team. They're first impressions, if you will. So if you're in the room and you want to join that, that's a great way to be hospitable if you're 
at all technologically interested or if you have a good ear for music, that's all you need to run sound. I did it a couple weeks ago. I love it. It's fun. The other thing about place is that, I don't know if you realize this, but we actually have a hospitality host on Facebook every week, assigned every single week to be a welcoming presence online. Now, YouTube, I'm sorry, we don't have anybody there because you guys don't comment. That's okay. Facebook, you guys comment. In fact, put an amen on there if you like to comment. Our Facebook people uh, are being hosted and we're welcoming them each week because we don't want to ignore that reality. The other thing is the physical place. We're in the physical right now. If you're in the physical room, this room might need to change over time too because the way people, ha their habits and mentality has changed over time is they don't and won't want to sit quite as close as they used to for a long time to come. We'll have to think about what that means for a room like this, what that means for how we do things together and all those sorts of things. We may need to make adjustments. We're making adjustments to our Sunday school and classes and things like that to make sure that we can reach everybody we can, but we're going to be, need to be real about those conversations and laser focused on our mission to make the right decisions. Disciples who make disciples. Our job is not to survive as an institution. If that's our goal, we've already lost the game. Our job is to be disciples who make disciples expanding God's kingdom. That's who we are. Give you a last thought here. Hope should dominate over annoyance in this place and in every church. The fact of the matter is that Peter, Barnabas, and Paul, among others, and including James, saw the work of the Spirit. And as I said, put a pin in the thought that you're a, probably a Gentile in this room, unless you're ethnically or historically Jewish. Um, most of us are probably Gentiles. That means that the response to the Spirit of Peter, Paul, James, Barnabas is directly responsible for why you're here today. We talked about this in confirmation a couple weeks ago and it kind of blew some minds. Because they responded to the Spirit, you're here today. If they didn't respond to the Spirit, would you be here today? I'm not sure the answer is yes to that. Right? This actually matters to us in so many ways. What kind of lives will we affect in the same way as we respond to the Holy Spirit? I'm going to give you all a chance to respond today via text if you want. There will be a text coming out in a little bit so that you can engage if you want, if you want to be part of our prayer team, as we talked about that, to be a house of welcome, in person or at home. When that text comes, just respond, pray. We'll figure out the next step from there. If you want to be a Facebook hospitality host, respond, Facebook. If you want to be an AV person, respond, AV. Or don't respond at all. The text is going to come. You don't have to respond to every text, and you don't have to do it if it's during a meal. But our job as the church is to say yes to the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's be disciples who make disciples and say yes, Lord, to all that God is doing right now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace, your goodness. Thank you that Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, and other faithful disciples responded, and we're here today because of that. May we be so responsive to the Spirit. Lord, for all of those who are watching right now, who don't know your son, Jesus Christ, who are not yet disciples, Lord, would your spirit work on them? And if you're at home and you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus, just say yes, Lord, to him right now and contact me and we can talk. Lord, for the rest of us, where there are barriers in our own lives to your mission, break those down, Lord, so that we can break down the barriers in a place like this to being a house of welcome, 
and responsive to what your spirit is doing right now because your spirit has worked actively and has been alive in the history of this place and churches around this city and this country, but we don't want to ignore the work of your spirit now, today. Lord, make us a house of welcome. Amen.